0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 257. Today's show is brought to you by Warby Parker, Squarespace, and Lumen5. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am very well, Jason Snell. Hashtag Snell Talk to start the show comes from the son of Michael, Upgradian Michael. Michael asks, when a podcast comes to an end, do you unsubscribe from the feed or do you keep it around in your subscription list?
1: Oh this is a great question um i I have heard from a lot of people that when a podcast ends, they keep it around sort of nostalgically. Uh, the nice thing about most podcasts is when they end it's not like the feed goes away. It's yep. all still there and so I generally don't if I've listened to it all I generally don't keep it in my subscriptions list because I know it's it's gonna go back there if i if I want. To go back, I can resubscribe to it, but mm-hmm. I I generally will do a ceremonial deletion of the podcast oh. after a brief tasteful period where we, you know, we honor it and we thank it and then we do a ceremonial, uh, you know, consigning of that podcast to the uh, depths of space. I don't do it because there have
0: been too many instances where some of my favorite shows have just like ended and then multiple years later an episode appears yeah and so i'm too scared in case i'm gonna miss it so like there's a couple of shows like one one of my very very favorite podcasts of all time is a video game show called the besties and it's uh-huh. a, it's basically a bunch of uh now mostly ex writers from polygon it was like polygon's official podcast for a, a while like many many years right. ago or at least one of them and it's like It's like four or five, and it's like five best friends talk about video games, right? It's just like, I love that kind of thing. Um, And it's got a couple of the McElroys on it. And they stopped doing the show, and then they randomly started it again, and then they stopped it again. And then every year, they publish a Game of the Year episode, but they never told anyone they were going to do any of this. So, like, Uh. you got to keep it around. Or You Look Nice Today. Remember when You Look Nice Today came back for a little bit? Like yeah, you know you got to keep these things around because you never know these wild podcasters might just throw something in the feeds.
1: I I I will. Uh, I've got two things. One is um download. I did. I have been tempted a couple of times to drop a fuzzy puppy update in the download feed. You see, you see, just because, and um and the bigger issue, and this is my counter argument, is a podcast that I listened to and really liked this summer that just ended. Uh, actually, there are two of them that I found. In the last six months, they end and then like three months later, there's an episode in the feed and the episode is we have other podcasts you can listen to where it's very much like, oh, this podcast has a lot of subscribers, but we're done with it. What can we do? Well, why don't we put an ad in the feed at the end to say you should subscribe to other podcasts we're doing? And it's like, no, nope. I don't like that at all. Thumbs down. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that, that feels to me like, I I feel like I don't listen to a lot of shows that I think would do something like that. Like that feels like a thing that would happen on a show that um, is made by a large company. You know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't yes. like a large media agency or whatever and I don't really listen to a lot of those types of shows.
1: Well, Yeah. And when you say those wacky podcasters, you never know what they're going to do. I think that's the the difference. Although I will say that one of those uh, shows was done by a very large uh, media corporation. And the other one was done by a kind of like small media corporation. Right. Okay. And it had the whiff of uh, it really had the whiff of desperation about it. Like, boy, no other podcast we do is it. And and to be fair to this podcast, which I'm not going to name it was by the same producers on a different subject but it was very much like our new project that follows this project is now out and you can listen to it and so i understand it but on another level i'm like "Mm, no i don't like this i get why they do it but it is it is just kind of desperate so anyway i I see both sides of it but for me upgrading michael i generally just uh dump them although i suppose you're right uh host mike that if it was a (laughs) I don't know if I didn't trust them. If I'm like, yeah, you say it's over, but I don't, I'm don't. i not sure I believe you. I would keep it around for sure.
0: Thank you so much to uh, and Michael, for that question. You can send in a question to start an episode of Upgrade just by sending a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk. It can be about literally anything at all. Um, and you can maybe get included. Now we have some follow-up from, as Jason has listed, former intern Blair. I don't yes. know what that
1: means. He was our uh, he was our mackerel intern, former okay. intern Blair. Former intern Blair has written into the TV talk machine a few times. Okay, but this is his first, uh, I believe. Um, upgrade, uh, upgrade. Uh, former intern Blair. And this is letter.
0: regarding we were talking about Catalina and security warnings last time. And I'm going to read yeah. the feedback, and then I believe you have some uh, rebuttals and some points to make. I do uh, have a response. Yeah. After listening to your conversation last week, I wanted to push back a bit on the idea that Apple's solution to the aggressive warnings in Catalina should be to provide pro users with a switch that says, don't bother me about this app or don't bother me at all. I'd argue that pro users are going out and installing all manner of software that requires deeper access. And Catalina's default behavior should be to pay even closer attention since we've seen several attackers attempt to commandeer personal data by hijacking applications that users already trust. Those people who are most most likely to say, don't bother me about this app, are, I would argue, at the greatest risk for an attack in that way. Now, that being said, I do agree with you that the avalanche of dialogue boxes isn't the right way to address this on first startup after the upgrade. I hope there's some way for the app to communicate to the system, hey, this user has provided me with this access for the past umpteen years, so don't bug them about it. But personally, given the the very real threat to end users, I think that a rocky post-upgrade experience is arguably better than leaving people open to attack. I do like this follow-up, by the way. I think it is very well written, and
1: I appreciate a point like this. That's why former intern Blair is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't entirely agree. I think he makes some very good points. Um, I, one of the things I will say is I'm not sure targeting pro Mac users is ever going to be a particularly strong malware vector because it's a fraction of a fraction of an audience. And so I'm not sure I completely by that, that it's like the pro users, but we have seen like transmission is a good example that that's not a pro app, right? It's a BitTorrent app, but it's an app that you can only get in uh, kind of murky areas of the internet because it is of murky legality. It is legal. There are legal uses of BitTorrent. There are lots of not legal uses of BitTorrent. And it was that that's the kind of thing where you you might see it in a vulnerable population. So saying pro users might not be the right, right way to approach it, but I get what he's saying here. Um, for me, uh, so the the key security issue Blair is talking about is when apps want to do things we don't expect that are sort of notably dangerous, and I think that is an important aspect of security. That's why i would prefer I would prefer not to have a switch that shuts off all protections on my mac right i would rather it be a little more granular than that but at the same time i don't want the death by a thousand cuts every time i want to do something Um, by the way parenthetically there is a terminal command i believe in mojave there is a terminal command i hope it will be there or is there in catalina i haven't tried it because i want to Experience the official Catalina experience that will let you set that uh, sort of app security launch thing to its lowest setting. But it's even though it's been taken out of the UI, and I heard from several people about that, and it's true. I just have chosen not to do that because I think um, most people, you know, I want to have that real experience. I can shut it off later if it's really driving me crazy. But yeah. I'm trying to write about the the core Catalina experience and not sort of a what happens after you've issued this secret terminal command. I will say but, as
0: well, like I yeah. don't think. I, mean, I, I get what Blair is saying, but I don't think that the way that Apple is approaching this would actually solve it for pro users. So let's use transmission as an example. If the system was bothering you about whether to use it or not, you'd still say yes, right? Like that doesn't necessarily take away the idea of, the, of it somehow being tampered with. And really the ability, the notarization and the ability for Apple to be able to cut off an app on their side, that's the part that is more yes. important. And everyone still gets that anyway.
1: In fact, Transmission, the story behind Transmission, which if for those who don't know, a legitimate app um, that had somebody hacked its, I think the server that its update was on and took the, the app file off and put stuff in it. And then put it back up. And it basically sort of like inserted a hacked version of the app on the update server. And so a hacked version went out for people who downloaded that update. And that's actually why the notarization process exists, is stuff like that. Because with notarization, changes to the app bundle break the cryptographic signature. And the system goes, oh, this isn't right. Like this is this is wrong. This is bad. And that's, that's great. I mean, that's a, that's a great feature. It's, uh, and that's part of the challenge of talking about this is there's a lot of different stuff going on and for a lot of different reasons. And, um, I, I don't, let me give you an example of something like, I don't be, when I talk, talk about like dangerous, notably dangerous things that we don't expect, like, I don't mind being warned about using my camera and microphone because those are basically like very privileged surveillance Uh, hardware devices that are inside my Mac. And if some random apps uh, suddenly wants, and this is true on iOS, but it's also true on my Mac, suddenly wants microphone access. It's like, I want to be able to say, no, why would you want to use my microphone? That's super gross. I I don't want you to do that. I get that. But I, I wonder where you draw the line for notably dangerous versus stuff that's assumed to be just part of using a computer. And I know this is what Apple and their security people are probably struggling with. Because like, Personally, an app I install and run accessing files in my desktop folder is business, right? It's it's not dangerous. It's not a security violation. It's not a privacy violation. I expect my desktop folder and probably my documents folder to be pretty much open fair game for apps i install and run on my computer right and so to have every app that wants to access that without my explicit permission to have to be granted access to me it feels too far and and it also makes me question like did anybody consider that the per request feature for for some of this stuff is is a bridge too far and that the right thing to do is something like letting the user say um you know desktop and documents folders are are okay just blanket not per app but like those folders are not privileged for me and maybe they are by default and you have to say yes i actually am okay with my apps looking at my files on my hard drive on my mac Um, but what they do now is you know, is just constantly ask you for these things. And I think, I think that's part of this bigger issue, which is, um, you know, the system gets in the way, gets in your way when you know what you're trying to do. Um, and at some point there is another line that has to get crossed, which is, uh, people have to take responsibility for their own actions. At some point, Apple has to say, all right, you can do whatever you want here, You, you know, jump off a bridge. If your friends do fine, see if I can. Every parent has to do that. There has to be a moment where you can't be the nanny anymore. You can't be the parent of of this user. You have to say, if you want to do this, you're going to do it. Otherwise, it's. I would argue it's not the Mac anymore. There has to be that place. And what I would say is that in Catalina, it feels to me like uh, that line is not being drawn in the right place. That they're they're like a little overprotective. Of getting in the way of people doing the right thing doing the wrong thing uh, because they want to and that um, they might want to rethink that i totally get you want to create a system that informs users and raises those initial barriers in the right places to get the users to think twice before they do something but at some point you have to just say as apple I'm no longer responsible for the dumb things you do because the, the counter argument is here in here is always going to be, but if you let users choose, they will install malware, their privacy will be violated. They will be hacked. Their data will be stolen. And my answer to that is, yeah, at some point that's true, but it's you, you it's, that's their problem. Like that you, at some point you have to let it go. You can put as many safety features into a car as you possibly can as a car manufacturer but at some point if somebody wants to get into a car and smash it up for various irresponsible reasons whatever they might be that's they're you know you that that's just they don't attach a breathalyzer to every car right like at some point it's like no that's on you don't drive drunk that's on you and uh, and for this, that's a bad analogy, but it's the, the idea, right? Like be, beyond a certain point a product being used responsibly is the responsibility of the person who bought the product. And it's not the responsibility of Apple, you know, to make it that it's impossible for them to be harmed by installing bad software. There has to be a point where it's drawn. And I, I feel like it's, it's being drawn a little too aggressively here. Um, and, you know, again, like I said last week, super hard problem, right? I don't think they're wrong to try to make the Mac safer by default. I think that the Mac and the PC, Mac OS and Windows were envisioned in an environment that was not as dangerous as the environment we exist in now. And iOS was and uh, is much safer as a result. And Apple's trying to bring that goodness to the Mac. I totally get it. I just think in the Catalina betas, I don't think the user friendliness of it and some of the assumptions about how people use their computers were taken into account. And, you know, I do hope they do better by the fall whenever this thing comes out. We'll see. We'll see, but thank you to uh, former intern Blair because uh, you know I, I agree with I agree with all that. This is this is the the, the challenge here is you do want to protect users to a certain point. You don't want to make it super easy for them to to just flip o- flip off the switch. The the danger is that one single button that you click that turns off all security is bad. So is a thousand buttons that you have to click to remain security because everybody will just stop clicking them uh, with you know other than just blindly just like click 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 click. click. And both of those solutions are terrible. So, you know, it's a hard problem. And I hope they, I hope Apple is uh, continuing to work on it because I think what they've got right now is not good enough.
0: So, we're going to be doing a live show on August 22nd, as we've mentioned before, in San Francisco. And uh, we need the help of Relay FM listeners because we're going to be playing a game of Relay FM host family feud. This is known as Family Fortunes in the UK and maybe in other places. The way that this game works is that the competitors of the game have to answer a series of questions with the objective of to try and guess the most popular answer as given in a survey. That survey will be conducted with Relay FM listeners. So for example, if the question given by the the quizmaster was name an operating system, the competitors would have to guess which operating system would be the most frequently answered by Relay FM listeners. So we need your help. There is a survey in the show notes. Fill this survey out, give your answers to the questions, and it will go towards helping us build the questions out for the game itself. Um, If you can't make it in person to our live show, you're not going to be there. This will be posted in the Connected uh, feed uh, on a couple of days after we do the live show. So everybody's going to get a chance to listen to this. Our big fifth extravaganza. There's going to be a lot of Real AFM hosts there. And a so, lot. A lot. Uh, and There's going to be four individual teams playing this game. It's a whole big thing. We have a wonderful quiz master that you might know very well. Mm. Um, who could it be? Mm. And uh, yeah, and so we get, we need your help because uh, the way that Family Feud works is we need we need answers to a series of questions. It's not too many. It's like 20 questions. Um it's pretty simple stuff. So you I can get sixteen questions. Sixteen total questions. And you can find a link yep. in the show notes to the Relay FM fifth anniversary family feud survey. If you could fill that out, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much. Should we do a couple of pieces of upstream news? Sure, a couple sure. Of things. There's, there's a little bit going on, yeah. Apple is remaking an Israeli TV show called Force Flag. Um, this is a thriller which was originally broadcast in Hebrew and focuses on a story of five people who find themselves implicated in the kidnapping of an Iranian defense minister. It's actually an anthology show. This is like the first season, and there will be future seasons in with the original creator where they're going to be looking at different situations like this. Uh, this, this show was successful enough that it was eventually aired internationally with subtitles. It was actually on Hulu as well in the US. Um, Mm -hmm. And it got enough fanfare and enough interest that Apple has bought the rights and they're going to be remaking it to air on Apple TV+. This is actually the second project that Apple has ordered from this particular production company that are called Cachette. Uh, The first is a remake of another series called Neverlot that will star Richard Gere, which I would forgotten about until I read the synopsis and then remembered, oh yeah, that sounds really weird. Um, The synopsis of this show is two two elderly Vietnam vets and their best friends who find their monotonous lives upended when a woman they both loved 50 years ago is killed by a car, their lifelong regrets and secrets collide with their resentment of today's self-absorbed millennials, and an act of self-defense snowballs into a series of tragic events. I rem- like I didn't remember Richard Gere, more. but I remember that description because that sounds like a very weird TV show. Um yeah. so I'm intrigued to see what, what comes of those. But yeah, so that that's another another TV show for Apple TV Plus.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, and also Hulu's S V P of Originals, Craig Owitch, has announced at the Television Critics Association uh, at their event that Disney Plus will be available as an add on to Hulu. It's unknown mm-hmm. what this bundle pricing will look like but you would assume it would be cheaper than the five ninety nine a month that Disney plus will cost standalone
1: yeah. you would I'd actually be surprised I don't think they've announced this but I'd be surprised if they didn't also sell you ESPN plus within Hulu just seems, seems you know possible, the Disney right? use the Disney bundle uh, uh, basically build the Disney bundle by building add-ons inside Hulu for these other features and as somebody who pays for Hulu <laughs> yeah great that sounds mm-hmm. great um, uh, a little related about this guy he's because this is the guy who's in charge of originals at hulu now that disney owns hulu they also did something last week that was um kind of interesting in that they uh, he now reports to the head of disney tv and abc and disney tv entertainment studio which is i think probably a good move because hulu's original development has been kind of a mess and they ba- this is basically disney saying we're in charge of this Yeah. Now. Like you, you're you're still the guy at Hulu, but you report to our development person, and we're in charge of you. What I'm surprised by is that John Landgraf, who is in charge of the FX networks that they bought as part of the Fox deal, and who is very well thought of, and the content from FX has been really successful, um, they are not. He's not involved in Hulu, so. I'm not quite sure what their strategy is there. Maybe their strategy is just going to be to let him continue programming the FX linear networks and just know that John Landcraft's content that's good, it's all going to go on Hulu, but it is not an original because it starts on the linear program channels and then moves to Hulu. So maybe that's going to be the distinction there, but I think it's a little bit weird because they've got this uh, very uh, smart, powerful executive. Uh, Then again, maybe he doesn't want to be you know, given Hulu, like, uh, no, mm-hmm. no, no, to keep it away. I don't know. No, I, <laughs> I don't know. You. That might... Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Anyway, it's, uh, they there, it's going to be a fascinating kind of year plus for Disney because they still have to deal. We, you know, when we talk about Apple buying two, th- uh, Intel motor business and getting 2000 new employees, like that's going to take years to, to settle down because that's just that kind of an influx of people. It's going to be, a mess and there's going to be a lot of turmoil and there'll be people leaving and there'll be new jobs and new people in charge and new directions that the old Intel people are not used to. You know, I've been through combinations of of org charts many times like that, and it's really complicated. Well, that's like even at a a far greater scale, what's going on with Disney and Fox and will continue to as they try to shake out their strategy. So um, there'll be more to come, I'm sure. It's
0: uh, as we record today as well. It's also Disney's quarterly earnings call later on, so I can I expect
1: there will be more Disney Plus news to talk about next week on Upstream. Yeah, and I think they have. Do they not have their Disney? They have an event too that they do that they sometimes do. They they they've become masters of rolling out little tidbits about all their stuff uh, very slowly. So you know, maybe we'll get some more about their strategy. Yeah.
0: All right. Today's show is brought to you in part by Warby. Parker quality eyewear at a fraction of the usual price. Warby Parker was founded by four friends with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Warby Parker makes sure that your glasses do not cost more than your iPhone, and they allow you to buy your glasses online, which is made super easy with their free home try on program. You order five pairs of glasses, try them on for five days with no obligation to buy. Shipping is free and includes a pre they include a prepaid return shipping label as well, so you can just send them straight back. Go to warbyparker.com slash upgrade and you can order your free home try on today. Wolby Parker glasses start at $95. That's including prescription lenses that all include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. Plus, blue light filtering lenses are now available as well from Wolby Parker, so you don't have to worry about blue light from your screens disturbing your sleep, if that's something that you want to look at. I am wearing Wolby Parker glasses and I absolutely love them. I've been looking for a particular style of glasses for a long time, like a like just a very like I wanted a metal frame that was super thin, and they were kind of round, and I couldn't find what I wanted anywhere and I found them at Warby Parker and I'm so happy with it. The home try-on experience is just genius as well. Being able to actually try on frames and show them to your friends and family at home is so nice and they make it so easy with the return shipping label. They also have a super cool iPhone app that if you have an iPhone 10, basically a phone with Face ID, uh, their their, uh, Warby Parker app is a virtual try-on thing as well so you can try on glasses using AR, seeing the actual color and texture and using your face on your phone it's wild it's some of the best use of like the ar and the true depth camera that i've ever seen which is super super cool i'm a big fan go to warby slash upgrade and you can order your free home try on kit today it is time to upgrade your glasses experience go to warby slash upgrade to order your free home try on kit today our thanks to warby parker for their support of this show relay fm and my eyesight Uh, thank you warby parker quarterly earnings time oh boy money 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 because it was about a week from when the quarterly earnings came out i'm not going to do my usual number breakdown we're just going to talk about some of the key key things that happened um what i will say is apple did meet their revenue guidance which is something that i was hoping would be the case but i felt is not something that we can necessarily bank on all the time now
1: and and wall street really cares about two things right did you meet your guidance and what's the next guidance because they all Mm -hmm. of uh, you know everything in investing is uh guessing about what's going to happen next and and making making your your purchases making your bets because of that and so they want to know what's next and it's like it, it also shows how well do you know your business exactly it should be very well
0: right like you should say your guidance and you should get it right you don't want to be too over you don't want to be too under yeah, being surprised it's not good so they they met the guidance and the guidance that they set for q4 it's effectively flat year over year yeah which is is what it is um we'll see but there are a couple of big stories that have come out from these earnings there are some interesting trends that will come from them as well so Probably the biggest one, the one that I've seen the most uh, headlines about, is that the iPhone dipped to under 50% of Apple's overall revenue. So if you imagine the, the all of the revenue, all the money that Apple makes, for the first time in seven years, the iPhone made up less than half of that. So yeah. that is a super interesting thing. Uh, if you, I love this from your uh, Macworld column because I, I hadn't seen this anywhere else. If you take the iPhone out of Apple's revenue and just look at everything else they make, it is up 17 percent year over year, but then with the iPhone's decline, it brings it down to about flat, right year over year, yeah. which is where they are. Um, iPhone sales were down 12 percent. Uh, which is, as Apple like to point out, a better decline than the last quarter. <laughs> yep. So it's going down, down but down less. <laughs> so I wanted to get your opinion on the 50% thing. So what does this mean to you? Like the the fact that I, the, the iPhone now only equates to 50% of the revenue. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing?
1: Well, I think the truth is that everybody who writes about this stuff, especially if they want to generate excitement, they... uh they talk about it in dramatic terms. So when the iPhone was, a, was, you know, two thirds of Apple's revenue, there are people who are like, Oh, look at the iPhone. Or they would say, uh, Oh, look, look how, how dependent Apple is on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's really dangerous. And then it goes under 50%. And there are a bunch of people who are like, Oh, look how dangerous this is for Apple, that it's under 50% there. Uh, which is it? you can can you have it both ways? But Uh, I'm going to give you probably a more boring response, which is what's the deal here. The deal is that they have two product categories that are rapidly growing and one that is uh, down a little. And, that's why right and percentage is going to be the it's not just uh where did the revenue trend happen where it was down 12 percent, but it's like overall if if every part of apple's business dropped at the same amount the iphone's percentage would stay the same but what's happening is wearables and services continue to trend way up and uh, iphone trending down a little bit you know, it's math at that point, and it's under 50%. I Personally, I feel like Apple will be a healthier company if the iPhone is not two-thirds of its revenue. I just think that it is a... I wrote a column about this a couple of years ago. The idea that the iPhone distorts everything, like it distorts how we view Apple as a business because you lose all of the other businesses that they do that are very profitable, and very successful because the iPhone is so huge that that it just sort of casts a shadow on all the rest of it. It also potentially distorts Apple's decision making because Apple starts making decisions that are just to favor the iPhone because it's such a huge part of their business that it would be kind of malpractice for them not to uh, favor the iPhone. Like the iPad languished for a while with very little uh, attention given to it. Really, because all the iOS features were about propping up the iPhone and making it better and keeping it in a great uh, state opposite Android, and all, all you know, adding more features for phones to be better. And as an iPad user, I was like, "Come on, Apple!" But you look at their business, and you say, "Well, I mean, it's seventy percent of their revenue. How could they not do that?" So, um, I think in the long run, I do think that it's a more healthy Apple would have a bunch of other stuff that would contribute to the bottom line, so that the iPhone wasn't quite as the 600 pound gorilla on Apple's balance sheet because it makes Apple make more well-rounded decisions. And it means that the success or failure of any particular iPhone uh, or iPhone buying trend cannot make people lose sight of the rest of Apple's business because it's the only part that matters. So in that way, I think it's good, but the truth is that this is just all about wearables and services coming up and the phone, you know, trending down a little bit. So let me, let me, I actually want to come
0: back to that point. So let me give the details about services and wearables. So like we usually talk every quarter about services being the big mover and it was up 13% year over year, massive. But this quarter, Apple's, I think, crown jewel was wearables. 48% year over year revenue growth after 10 straight quarters of double digit growth anyway. So it's been steadily rising for years but this quarter has exploded. Probably AirPods, probably. is a big part of that, but not all of it, but a big part no, of it's, it. No,
1: it's AirPods and Apple Watch.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure the, it just feels like the AirPods are part of the zeitgeist in a way that the Apple Watch isn't. Like, considering we don't actually know the numbers, I assume AirPods have, have helped a lot, but who knows. So, wearables is now 10% of Apple's business, bigger than the Mac and iPad. So... Jason what kind of company is well, Apple now
1: the Mac the Mac is actually was bigger than wearables this quarter okay so let's it's bigger say than iPad, the iPad yeah it's 11 but the way to think about it this way it's 11 percent Mac 10 percent wearables and nine percent iPad so they're all right around there yeah um but this is a this is a category that just keeps growing like the services revenue is up and we've talked about that a lot but wearables had it just keeps going up the last few quarters of wearables revenue growth um almost well let's say one two three four five six seven eight nine ten there are 10 quarters of wearables growth in a row nine of those 10 quarters have been 30 percent year-over-year growth or more just enormous Mm -hmm. growth in this category and the one that wasn't thirty percent was twenty three percent, right? Like, so they have been on a tear in uh, transforming this category that used to be called other, but is now you know what is it wearables, home, and accessories. I think we all feel, and Apple definitely wants us to feel that the uh, wearables business, especially Apple Watch and AirPods, are the uh, are the the drivers here. But it does it is a category that does include things like HomePod and uh, Apple TV as well.
0: So. If you think about that, you think about the growth of wearables, services, it's like, what is Apple, really? Like, if you're looking at the balance sheet, what kind of company are they, right? And it's oh. like, if you think about the wearable stuff, it doesn't get as much attention as the Mac. Right. It doesn't get as much attention as iPad is getting. Yep. And, it's, and do you really feel like it's getting what would be the same percentage like when you look at the iphone if the iphone's half of the business and like airpods apple watch and the apple tv are 10 percent of the business do you feel like all of that shakes out like i think that it is a very interesting situation when you look at their balance sheet now to see like from a revenue perspective where should they be putting their attention and considering apple does care about this stuff they care about the, the the revenue reports right like they 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 give a lot of detail. It's obviously being a publicly traded company, they have to care. I wonder if this stuff is going to further shape the company, right? I feel like we saw and have seen that the probably accidental mostly growth in services has driven Apple to become a different company, right? So you would uh-huh. assume that like the original growth in services was just we have so many iPhones that we're going to have a lot of people sign up for iCloud and give us a little bit of money. And over time, that is going to grow without us doing really anything. And so let's now get a music streaming service. Oh, look how many customers we can just accidentally get purely because it's already installed. So mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, now we're going to become a media company.
1: Don't don't forget uh, one that I think doesn't get talked about as much as maybe it should, which is AppleCare mm-hmm. shows enormous growth. And that I would I would phrase that as oh we raised the prices on all of our the average prices on all of our models of all of our products and now they're so pricey that you really are motivated to well, buy and also a service plan Our
0: phones are so complicated now that it has become extremely expensive to replace the glass on yeah them.
1: yeah yeah i mean this is this is my point is that uh, an untold part of the of the average iphone costing you know nearly a thousand dollars or you know in the in the high hundreds is the more expensive those phones are and the more expensive they are to replace and repair, the more likely you are to buy Apple care and Apple care has shown enormous growth. So that's part of the services line. We don't talk about it a lot, but they, they called it out on the uh, analyst call Mm -hmm. that Apple care growth is also really large. So that's a big part of what's going on in, in services. I would say that, um, and this may be a little counterintuitive, but I would say that the way that, um, analysts, um, view Apple is not all analysts. There are a lot of dumb analysts out there, but, um, I think in general the way Apple is viewed is is not that far off which is it's a company that has a primary product which is the iPhone it has a growing services business that's tied into people who use their products and then it has a collection of other products that do pretty well but are not at the at the scale of the iPhone and right now that's exactly what the pie chart shows right it shows iPhone 48% services at 21% and then these 10-ish percent businesses of of uh, wearables mac and and ipad and that so you know i think doesn't that pretty much align with how we think of of apple like it's it's uh, you know the iphone is the most important product there's a lot of services and it's super important for them and then they've got these other businesses that are pretty good but are not a massive portion of of apple's revenue put together they're a third of apple's revenue
0: but I, my, my thinking is just like where does it push them right did i see that like okay maybe we should be pursuing the ar glasses maybe we should be pursuing different headphone models maybe you know
1: yes i i i think i think you are right that the moment they changed other <laughs> to be wearables home accessories that indicated something about apple's feeling about this category mm-hmm. the first off they didn't want everybody saying Wow. Others going great for Apple right now. That's no good. So they, they call it wearables home accessories and they emphasize the wearables, which makes it sound cooler. But I do think that internally they've got to be looking at the Apple Watch and um, and they talk about it, the Apple Watch and AirPods as being these big success- successes that although a lot of people in in the larger world don't think of them as... Like the Apple Watch is a great example. Like the Apple Watch has been an incredible success, but if you ask people about it, they're like, "Yeah, the Apple Watch, whatever." Like it's actually within its category. So many other uh, Tim Cook actually threw shade at other competitors on the on the analyst yeah. call by pointing out that um, you know many of their competitors in the in the wearables category have given up. And like shuttered their smartwatch businesses because there's, you know, they, they just didn't make it. Whereas Apple has been number one and is number one and is doing <laughs> oh, very okay. well at it's it. It's a
0: little unfair, but I get his point. Right. It's just like no one could compete with them anyway. Just just. By inertia but i but yes that's it's correct what he's saying but that like it's, an- you know.
1: android where there, there was a scenario when the apple watch was introduced five years ago where we could imagine well there will be in five years because it's coming up five years <laughs> since the since the apple watch was announced not shipped but announced that where where you'd say oh well there'll be a competitor platform from from google and there'll be like android and samsung watches and and probably by five years from now they will be 70 percent of the market of smartwatches and, and Apple will be 30% because that's sort of what happens. And that has not happened. That has not happened. It's not like there aren't Android wear watches out there and, and, and that that sell. But Apple Watch has uh, been very successful and most of those other products have not. And in fact, you could really argue that the only product that is really strong in the face of the Apple Watch are Fitbits. Because Fitbit has really upped its game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had an existing market, and they have done it well. And I know a bunch of people who choose Fitbit over I've, uh, over Apple Watch, uh, and and they have done really well in, have yeah. no, and have weathered that storm. But it is surprising. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I think Apple has is looking at the numbers and saying, yes, wearables is a huge push forward for for us, and that given that their all of their miniaturization. Skills that they have from building the iPhone. I mean, it benefits them there. They can build little processors and and put in little batteries and do everything else they need to do. So, does that mean the AR glasses are a sure thing? It doesn't. But I think I think it makes them realize what the potential is for something like AR glasses, yeah. given how well wireless earbuds have done for them.
0: Yeah, it's like I don't I don't think it necessarily makes anything a surefire like surefire thing. They should do as you say, but I think that it definitely. When they're sitting the, around the table and they're looking at their pies, they're like, all right, what areas can we see growth in? So like, when they're looking at like these are all the projects that we have, looking at our track record, what our customers seem to be interested in from the stuff that we make, what could we do to help us pick up the iPhone's falling? Yep. And clearly, services and wearables are two areas that they have not had to do much to and they're seeing incredible growth. Like arguably they work a lot harder on the Mac and the iPad and they are not seeing that growth. Right. Right. And so it's like, well, they can, they should continue to focus on the whole thing, right? That I'm not arguing that they should stop making Macs and start making headphones, right? Like they should be a company that can handle the scope. They should be a company that can handle all of it. Um, I know that sometimes they don't necessarily show that, but they they are they they more than any company in the world should be able to handle everything because they have all the money. So you know, I I would expect to see continued push in those areas whilst also continuing to handle everything else. But yeah, it was an interesting. As I think I said this. A few quarters ago, right? That I know revenue stuff could be drier, but I think the next couple of years are going to continue to have these little interesting. Nev- we haven't seen these before stories because the company is changing, the way they're making money is changing, mm-hmm. and it's. I'm keen to see what the next quarter is going to be like.
1: Well, when I when I talk about the distortion of the of the iPhone when it's enormous, I think the the reverse is also true that um, Apple as a public company, especially like Apple's motivated by growth. Apple's always looking for growth. And I think Apple is in a different way, maybe a little bit than what Wall Street wants. Apple is always searching for the next thing, right? Like AirPods and Apple watch are not products that had to exist, but Apple pushed in those areas and have gotten a uh, success out of it. Now, I would say a, especially
0: a AirPods, the watch seemed like an inevitable product right that there would be a smart watch wrist computer it felt like an inevitable thing that they would try but little wireless headphones that have no cable on them i mean that 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 kind of came out of nowhere a little bit more
1: but the idea that you have to create those those product categories and, and apple always has to be looking for those product categories i think that i think there's truth in that mm-hmm. and then you get into this nice cycle where you're like okay now we we got we got the hits <laughs> we're gonna grow this thing and now they're and now they're growing that thing and giving it more attention and they should give it more attention and service is a similar thing where they realized Wow, you know there 's a huge opportunity here in terms of subscriptions and services and and that needs to be a part of the the uh, revenue engine for apple and then, in the background, they are doing r and d for whatever the next thing is because they know that uh, services and wearables are also going to slow their like the, that wearables category is doing great, but it 's probably not sustainable because it 's never sustainable to do thirty percent growth year over year forever it's just it 's not possible. No. So because just the they will exhaust that category and they will go to they will go down a little bit and they'll go flat and and it'll be very profitable. Right. But it'll be flat and and yep. flat isn't bad. But it, except in if you're looking for growth, I mean, and as well, it's like
0: in theory, the iPhone, its cap was the amount of people on the planet. But services and wearables, its cap is the existing amount of iPhone users. Right? Yeah, like,
1: I would say services, the cap is the amount of money available on the planet. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a good point. Just go forever uh, selling new services to people who so already, already have it. But you're right, they are generally limited to within Apple. They system. both have With saturation
0: points that yeah. are iPhone customer size, where the iPhone, in theory, they could have just kept selling it to everyone in the world, in theory. I am really intrigued for the next quarter, because Q4, well, should have the first few weeks of iPhone sales. And I don't know about you, but I feel like all of the you know, information is leaking out about the next iPhone and the general rhetoric is not good. Mm-hmm. Like people seem to be not excited. All of the like general kind of technology press and like more the mainstream media are saying not good you know like you know when you being a person who's interested in technology people like to tell you their thoughts and all the thoughts that i'm getting from people in the wider world which is admittedly a small sample size it's like oh you've got to skip the iphone 11 right and and so i'm i'm very intrigued to see if apple's going to be right
1: yeah because it feels very much like this is going to be the iphone 7 which is the third step in an existing product cycle yes it's the second for the ten R, but like for the ten concept, the third year of iteration of that product. Yep. And while they will still make a lot of money and they'll still sell a lot of iPhones, it's not going to drive, if it's like these other things we've seen in the Apple, uh, in the iPhone b- buying cycle, it's not going to drive growth in the iPhone. Because
0: the XS didn't work for this exact reason. Right, and so you do it it's again. It's more of the
1: same because they're only coming out with a really new iPhone. I, yeah. I don't know.
0: So that's why, yeah. like, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested about what, what Q4 is going to look like for them. Like, are they actually going to get where they think they're going to go? We'll see. Yeah. All right, today's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace will let you easily create a website for your next idea so you can make your next move with Squarespace. They give you all of the tools that you need in a wonderful all-in-one platform. No matter what type of website you want to build, Squarespace has the functionality. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade. You don't have to worry about any of this. Squarespace have got you covered. You can get a domain name with Squarespace. You can use beautiful and customized award-winning templates with Squarespace. Whether you want to create a blog, a site for your business with an online store if you want it physical and digital goods you can sell through squarespace's commerce platform you could create a site for an event i created my wedding website with squarespace maybe you have a design portfolio you they have templates for all of these types of websites and so many more but it's also customizable that you can make a squarespace site for just about anything they have award-winning 24 7 customer support so if you need any help they have someone on hand to help you out i have been using squarespace for as long as i have published anything on the internet it's probably like 10 years now i've been using squarespace for various projects yeah actually my very first Squarespace website was my very first podcast, and that was in April 2010, so about 10 years. So I love Squarespace. I continue to use them. I have other projects that I'm working on, and I am setting up Squarespace websites for them because I find it so easy to build websites using their tools. So you can go and try it out today with no credit card required. Go to squarespace.com slash upgrade, and you can sign up for a free trial there. Then when you're ready to, you can build your entire website, and then when you're ready to launch it to the world, you can sign up for one of their plans start at just $12 a month but you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain when you go to squarespace.com and use the code upgrade at checkout that is squarespace.com upgrade and the code upgrade for 10% off your first purchase i thanks to squarespace for their support of this show and all of relay fm squarespace make your next move make your next website So you may remember last time uh, we spoke at length about (laughs) uh, Apple and Siri and subcontractors and listening in to our conversations as reported originally by The Guardian. So after the very lackluster initial response that Apple gave that we spoke about last week, where... They were kind of just like trying to yes, wave that this happens. away. Like, yeah, sure. It's all fine. They have now uh, spoken to Matthew Pazzarino at TechCrunch and have told him that they are going to be ending the program. They're going to review their process and add an opt-out for having your serial requests reviewed in a future software update. This was like a like Friday night news dump, right? Like, just get it out there. Um, I saw Neil Patel say, and I actually kind of agree with him, that like, it feels like a very Facebooky way to announce something like this. Like, just, I, I don't really know why Apple's being so, they were so strange about their initial response. And then yeah. a few days later, kind of dumping this news, it's all a bit weird to me, uh, but they have at least done what we consider to be the right thing here which is to do this properly to stand up and own up for the type of stuff that they're usually baiting drums about and making this a more privacy focused process
1: uh yeah it's it's a much better response than the initial response but you know what they say is we're going to conduct a ther- thorough review and we are suspending this globally so we're suspending siri grading globally so i my questions are well suspending means you're not eliminating it you're going to turn it back on potentially yeah um it's suspending siri grading which makes me think are there things they're not suspending are they suspending the one thing that got reported in the guardian but not other things that we don't really know about because mm-hmm. that's not they didn't say until we review our policies and c- figure out a way to go forward, humans aren't going to listen to your audio. They didn't say that. They said, we're suspending Siri grading glo- globally. And then they mentioned, I think this is actually a positive thing. Uh, it's often reported, and you mentioned it, that people will be given a chance to opt out. What they said was, as part of a future software update, users will have the ability to choose to participate in grading, Yeah, which could be an opt-in rather than an opt-out which i think is the right thing to do i
0: expect it will be part of the setup process you know like when you're asked like do you want to
1: give analytics
0: and when you set up siri they'll probably ask you that then which is fine that's perfect that's what i want right that's exactly what i want because i'll say no i usually say yes to this stuff but i will say no to this one um this this one just it, it makes me a little bit more uneasy than other things and I would have no problem and have no problem with any of these companies uh, reviewing things that seem to have gone right or wrong, but there was a conversation. I have no problem with that. My problem is reviewing accidental activations. That's what I don't like. I mean, I feel like we spoke about that last time, but I wanted to like reiterate and make very clear my issue with this. Like, if there was a way for me to choose between those, like, and say, like, you can review my successful requests or requests where I got frustrated, but it was a conversation between me and the device, um, I would say, yeah, that's fine, because that's that's going to make it better. I'm not keen for review whatever the heck I'm talking about when you thought I called you. Because that's a dead two very, very different things, you know? Right. Yep. Because yep. I don't know about you, but in our house, if somebody's talking to one of the assistants, the other person doesn't say anything, Right. Right, like it becomes like a thing where we know the technology is listening and in our homes, and it's and I think it's purely like it's not like we're freaking out, but it's just like oh, there's something happening. I will let that occur, and then we can go back to whatever you know. So, so like I, I don't like the idea of of these of these devices being able to hear me whenever I, whenever, whenever. It feels like they want to, right? Which is sometimes accidentally.
1: And um, and I heard this pointed out on ATP last week, and I think we mentioned it as well. In in many ways, I'm not concerned with, uh, with these agents not understanding a command I give them. I think that's a great example where I would like to yes. improve the quality of the service. 100%. I think for me, the challenge is when there's a mistake in activation where we're not because there's no chime uh, mm-hmm. the moment that they get the, the, the wake word. And so there's a mistaken activation from the TV from conversation going on in the room, who knows what. And at that point, you've got a 30 second window where something is recording your audio at home and sending it to who knows who. And that, that is to me a completely different level because that's accidental activation leading to accidental surveillance that's then being passed to a random person. And I, I you know that needs to not be there. And maybe they could get granular about it. Maybe they could say, you know we want we want to understand uh, commands or we want to understand accidental activations. Maybe they can't do that but you know the the accidental activations are the one that is just I can't approve that.
0: Yeah, I completely agree and and I I have we have a lot of problems with Siri um, with, with the home pod. Setting off, it's an almost daily occurrence.
1: I have it all the time, which is why when the story came out, I finally just uh, decided: what if we uh, went back to touch and hold to give a command to the HomePod? Because quite frankly, I was fed up with the HomePod accidentally triggering all the time. Anyway,
0: so I'm pleased that Apple have at least uh, they're gonna do what they should have done. This should have been the initial response that they gave to the Guardian, uh, in my opinion, which I, I find a little bit disappointing from them. This feels like another company that gave this response, right? It, it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, so we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait and see what they do with it afterwards, but this whole thing has been kind of kind of frustrating, I think. Yeah. Uh, and also now the Apple card is available. Jason Snell, are you excited? <laughs> credit cards, come on, credit
1: cards. I, I'm sorry, I guess I'm contractually obligated to say money, 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 money again. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is, so they announced this back in june and we should talk about it because i think everybody was focused on all the other things that they announced because back in June. And you may not remember i didn't it.
0: remember this it was during wwdc i was like yes. what
1: like i it was it's very
0: confusing for me now to think that this was part of the developer conference but it was yeah. so now that
1: it is available i'm interested in this because more than anything else i would say i'm not generally one of those people who is always like Um, chasing the best credit card thing where it's like, I'm going to have this card and I'm going to use it on these purchases. And for these kinds of purchases, I'll use this card because I'm maximizing my rewards because it seems like a lot of work. And I think most people are like that. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about the Apple card is that it's potentially a really good deal for people who don't, who pay off their, you know, again, pay off your credit card every month if you can and uh, who are buying Apple stuff. It's potentially in general a good deal for people who are not going to actively be chasing like there are better deals out there to be had but you have to you have to work at it a little bit more so i think that is uh and because this this card is all about being super convenient for people who have iphones basically
0: yeah i wanted to kind of run through some stuff again there was also some more details given today about kind of how apple and goldman sachs are working together goldman sachs is the company providing apple with the underlying technology and all of the agreements and all the card, like just allowing them to create a credit card in the first place because you need licenses for that kind of stuff. Uh, there was a preview rollout that's starting today. So you, people could sign up to say they were interested and they're going to be notifying a random selection of people uh, to say, yeah, you can do it. With wider availability across the US by the end of the month. The way that approval works, you just sign up in iOS, and then it takes a few minutes, and then the card immediately shows up in your Apple wallet if you are accepted. They then send you the titanium card. Remember, it's like the card is made of titanium. They send you that in the mail, and just like a cute little feature, the, the envelope that they send you has an NFC tag inside. You tap it with your phone, and it activates the card, which is just... It's just nice. That's just like nice, huh. right? So you don't have to call anyone. You don't have to go to an ATM or a website. Like it just does it for you. Um, so another little tidbit, you have three card numbers attached to the credit card account. You have the digital one that goes in Apple Wallet that you use for contactless stuff. The physical card has its own number. And then also the you have a virtual number and the virtual number is what you use online. So when you're buying things online. And you can so this is like when it pops up to pay by Apple Pay, it uses a different number and you can request a new virtual number at any time. This is useful because then when your card information is compromised by a big supermarket chain because they didn't have enough security, just change the virtual number and you're good to go. And and you did not you don't have to like wait for a new card or anything like that because it's separate. So this is like we're talking about that convenience angle. That is fantastic. So if your card number is compromised because somebody wasn't looking after their protection stuff, you don't need to do anything other than get a new number, which I love. So the way that data works, Goldman Sachs sees the purchase data. This is something Apple confirmed today to The Verge. But Apple have a they have said that they have a special agreement with Goldman Sachs. that This data cannot be sold to third parties or used for advertising purposes. So Goldman get the data, but they can't really do anything with it, which is interesting. It reminds me of the A&T relationship, right? Like Apple got a bunch of special deals with Singular to launch the iPhone that were against a lot of the way that the industry was working at that time. And this is the same thing. I don't really know what's in this for Goldman Sachs. Like They must really want this business for some reason because yeah. it seems like they're giving up a lot of what a credit card company typically gets value in, which is the data that they can get about you.
1: My guess is that this is like the singular deal for the original iPhone, yeah. which is, you know what? Apple brings a lot of ideas and they bring a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. And even if we give up a lot of our traditional things, we're going to get this huge influx just based on on it being with apple and that's worth a trade-off that some some partner i think when apple it doesn't always happen right but when generally when apple comes into a a a group of potential partners and says we want to do things a little bit differently somebody in there is going to go all right let's try it like let's we'll give up we'll give up the things we usually do because it's apple and we need that business like you know they win a lot they have a lot of volume and even though it's a a business where we're not going to make what we usually make it's still a business that we want to be in and that if we don't do it, someone else will. So all of the stuff that Apple spoke
0: about earlier still applies. There's like no fees on it. You get the immediate cash back, which is what you were referencing earlier, right? So like they don't do airport lounge stuff. They don't do points
1: that you can do for other stuff, which can be really good if you chase that type of thing in your life. I think Matthew Panzerino at TechCrunch described it as, you know, if you just want cash to buy things as opposed to like turning in points for um you know bottles of champagne at airports which is i thought that was funny but there is some truth in that like you know we've got cards where you've got to ask for a uh, a redemption thing and then you get a certificate that then you can go to certain stores and yep. cash and like there are lots of different car- cards with lots of different approaches and like i said some of them are are uh, are good and are going to be a way better deal than the apple card but you're going to have to work for it whereas Apple literally just puts money on an Apple Pay cash card for you to spend somewhere else and frankly a lot of those cards have yearly fees yeah i mean some some do some don't but mm-hmm. yeah that's right and apple pay cash putting it on an apple pay cash card is brilliant because that means the money that you get back you're once again spending using apple's system so it's a double win for apple but it's apple. also
0: immediately available which is something that you don't i don't yeah. think you get anywhere else right like you just right. get the cash immediately so yeah I want to talk about the interest rates a little bit. So this is something that was like really contested afterwards when people were digging into it. So the APR rate starts at 12.99% and goes up to 24.4%. So Apple were talking about like being the cheapest around, right? These rates are not the cheapest around. They're like okay rates for US credit cards. But the thing that Apple are actually doing is interesting and i can kind of see what they were getting at they are saying that their goal is to be among the lowest possible rates that you can qualify for this is a very important distinction it's the cheapest for you not necessarily the cheapest so based on your credit score they want to try and give you the lowest rate that you would be able to get from any credit card company so like they're Doing something, it's not giving you a 4% APR, which I think was like a lot of people were hoping. It's like, oh, cheapest around is going to be a great deal. No, they're just trying to give you the best deal they can possibly give you based on your credit history. So, you know, there you go. We have the answer now. That's the answer to that. Apple also said that they're working with Goldman Sachs' support team to provide an Apple-like experience because when you need to contact someone, you're talking to Goldman Sachs' people. You're not talking to Apple. Apple. And they're doing training and wording and all this kind of stuff to make it more Apple-like. So maybe they make you wait behind a tree for a while when you call up yeah, on Goldman Sachs' support it. line. A big virtual AR tree pops up and you stand behind that. Um, but yeah, so that that is that is everything we now know about uh, Apple Card.
1: Yeah, so we'll learn more. I mean, there, there are the some people in the press and some other people being seated with it. And um, I think it's an interesting thing. And if, for me... Since you asked at the top of this and I didn't really give you an answer, um, I'm going to try it because I feel like I have to try it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether I will keep it, but I like the idea. I feel like there may be some other cards. I've been thinking about switching what card we use to something that that has a, a particular set of cash back uh, things or points back that, that would, would really benefit my family. And so the Apple card may not be the best. There may be another one. I may put that limited amount of effort into it to choose another one. Uh, But I I will definitely try it out. And it it may be that it's just such a nice experience that it stays as some of my other cards get uh, canceled. This
0: episode is also brought to you by Lumen5. Snappy videos on social media are a fun, fast way to digest your favorite content. And if you're producing content of any kind, you should be thinking about video to go alongside it. But what are you going to do, right? You're going to carve out hours a day to plan and edit and make videos. You could try and recruit someone to hire like a freelancer to do this stuff for you but those options cost a lot of time or a lot of money or both which is why you should look at Lumen5. It helps you make shareable short form videos in minutes and can take the stress out of video creation. By using AI and machine learning it can help pick out and summarize the most important parts of an article or a blog post or whatever it is you want to turn into a video. Once you've got the important text you pair it with some attention grabbing pictures and videos you can use your own stuff. They also have a, a wonderful uh, source of, of like video f- videos and photos that you can use yourself so you don't have to s- like spend hours looking for it. They have millions of media files available for you to use in their library. Um, I played around with Luma 5 and it was really easy to put a video together in a couple of minutes. And I thought it was a wonderful way to be able to do this type of stuff because I've thought about doing these things before. And figured, oh, this is going to take me hours to put together in Final Cut. But that's what these tools are available for. And when I looked at it, I was like, aha, that's how it's done. Because otherwise, how else could you afford it? This is the way to do it. Start creating your own thumb-stopping, attention-grabbing videos today. Lumen5 has a special offer for listeners of this show. Go to lumen5.com upgrade and you will get 50% off your first month. That's L-U-M-E-N and the number 5.com slash upgrade for 50% off. It is so much easier than traditional video editing. Go there right now, lumen5.com upgrade. Our thanks to Lumen5 for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is time for hashtag askupgrade. <laughs> Tyler wants to know how do you deal with acoustic conditions when you're recording on the road
1: <laughs> huh. yeah this is good uh, for both of us A little podcasting question um, you know try to avoid rooms that are super echoey Like, I I once did a podcast where somebody invited me to use their office instead of doing it in other spaces, and then I discovered his office was completely glass-walled, and it was the most echoey space Mm -hmm. I'd ever been in. I know people who record on the road by going into a closet and under a blanket (laughs) in order to just eliminate all echo. Yep. Because that's what what you really are trying to avoid is echo and... Uh, continuous room tone, although that could be, they can both be removed by software, but it's a lot of effort. So you got your air conditioner coming on and off. Maybe you got people outside. That was one of the things we experienced at WWDC, is there was music playing in the background and there were people outside. Those are like variable noises. They're very hard to remove from audio. So you know, some of it is luck. Hotel rooms are often pretty um, soft yeah. and turn full of air drapes and things. And you turn like, off the AC. Yeah,
0: close the close the drapes. And you're typically good. There's lots of soft things in hotel rooms which help remove the echo. But that also means, like, as you say you could throw a blanket over your head if you wanted to and get very hot and sweaty. But it would would help with your acoustic conditions. Also, using a microphone that doesn't pick up a lot of external sound is a big one these things tend to be more expensive, but finding a good microphone that, that you know, like what are, what is the type of microphone called? I can never remember the, the differences, but like dynamic, dynamic
1: versus a condenser. Yes. And and they, they're they made, they're made differently, but this is the thing. So like I used a, a blue Yeti for a long time and I loved it. And the rooms that I recorded with the Yeti, it sounded fine, mm-hmm. but the Yeti picks up a lot of room noise. Yes. And if you're in an echoey room, it sounds really bad. And there are, Other people should just read Marco's uh, microphone review thing, which is old, but, you know, microphones don't change that much. And uh, yes, microphones, we we people like me and Mike, uh, we carry microphones these days that are better at suppressing room noise and that they're really only listening to you straight into the microphone. And that's great, because then if you have a weird noise that's happening off to your left in the hotel room, guess what? It can't hear it or it can't hear it very well. And that helps a lot.
0: So before people ask, what microphone are you using, Jason? Uh, I'm
1: mostly traveling with the Audio-Technica. ATR 2100? ATR 2100 because I travel with uh, an iPad and I just record that straight into my iPad or it'll even work with an iPhone. And uh, and it, because it's got an XLR, I can actually record on an external recorder as well as use it by USB, which is very convenient. Um, I also have used some Shure uh, microphones, the Shure Beta, what is it, fifty-eight A, and there's the the mm-hmm. knockoff
0: fifty-seven A as well. And oh, and there's that knockoff, yes, the, yes,
1: the, yes. It, it's it's very high in Marco's list. I have two of those uh, knockoff. Uh, what what are those called? The pile PD mic fifty-eight which is super cheap and I I suspect is made at the same factory as the Shure Beta 58A, and they just, in the middle of the night, they switch over and they make these and uh, sell them for, sell a $150 microphone for 15 bucks, but they're really good. Um, so there are a bunch. At home, I use a different microphone, but I, it's a home studio mic and I wouldn't recommend it, and I don't travel with it.
0: So I typically travel I have traveled in the past with the Shure Beta 58A. Yeah. But I now travel with the microphone that I use at home, which is the Neumann KMS 105.
1: Yeah, the super expensive.
0: So it's very expensive yeah. microphone, but this microphone I, sounds to me as I sound in real life, and that's why I well, love it yeah, so
1: dearly. It's like you're bringing your voice with you. Yes. But I, I agree the the Beta Fifty Eight A and those pile knockoffs. Like I have, I think I have four or five of the Fifty Eight A's, and and a couple of the pile knockoffs, and they all, I mean, they sound great. And and that would be, I would say, if you've got a USB interface that you're using, um, you should. And you're thinking of getting a new microphone, you should buy one of those fifteen dollar pile mics on amazon because um it may it may be all you need and they're super cheap mm-hmm. and and even though they're super cheap i have not had one fail yet
0: jason not snell asks uh i just got my <laughs> first macbook what do you recommend it's definitely not me some apps that you cannot do without i thought we very rarely get a question like this so i thought it was fun right. um so i'm gonna go over a few alfred Uh, Alfred is like a launching application. So like, you you know, I just press command and space and instead of spotlight, I get Alfred come up. I think Alfred is faster. It remembers my preferences and reorders them in a way that I really like. But it also has a bunch of additional features. I use its clipboard history. Like it has a bunch of stuff that I'm not even nearly going near, but I like it a lot. Text Expander, they are a sponsor of the show, but I use it constantly. One password for my passwords dropbox i know people tend not to like dropbox at the moment i have no problems with dropbox i'm not seeing any of the issues that that marco and casey are seeing uh dropbox for me just works like dropbox always has there's no weirdo app it's just the menu bar thing i i don't know what people are complaining about jason because i'm not seeing it i don't know why this yeah. is but and also as well like dropbox can do whatever they want i don't care it works And I'm not moving away from that. Uh, And I use Hazel as well. Hazel is a utility that you can have, look at files and folders and do things. And I, for example, I have a lot of audio files that accumulate on my computer. And every uh, few weeks or whatever, Hazel gets rid of a bunch of them. So they're some of the apps that that I use as a professional Mac user.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So for me, LaunchBar, which is the equivalent to your choice of Alfred, I feel um, like... Just not at home until I have LaunchBar installed and a similarly thing. It's going to index all of my apps and uh, key files on my Google Docs. That's how I get to the upgrade document is I use LaunchBar. Mm, I, mm-hmm. upgr- I type upgrade and I don't even need to get to the end of the word upgrade and I can hit return and the upgrade document opens. So um, I use LaunchBar to get around a Mac. I use one password. So likewise, Mike, I use Dropbox. Yes. Likewise, Mike. And I'll throw in BB edit, which is the text editor that I use to write most of my stuff and on the Mac. And you can use it for free uh, with most of the features uh, functional. And then there's a, uh, there's a bunch of features that are uh, only enabled when you pay, but you can use it for free too. And, uh, and that's when I get set up on a new Mac, cause I, I will do that when I'm like reviewing a Mac or something like that. These are the first like four things that I put on my Mac, I believe
0: that those Dropbox things are happening, by the way. But I'm just, I, I don't know what oh, they it are. is, but I'm not—I'm
1: not seeing any of it. Well, they—they they rolled it out by accident, but it did turn out. What I found heartening in that, everybody else is like, "Oh, they did this thing by accident, so how can we trust them?" It's like, all right, well, that's an opinion you can have. Uh, I think sometimes accidents happen. Uh, I was—I was encouraged by the fact that it seems what they haven't done is built this whole giant app that runs that everybody has to use. It seems like what they've done is built a helper app that embeds Google docs and all of that stuff in it. And it is not running unless you want to run it. And if that's the way they implement it, that's great because I'm never gonna run it and then I never have to see it. So yeah. But they, anyway, they unrolled it out to most people, and uh, which is which is smart. They're like, "Whoops, nope, nope, you weren't supposed to see that. Look away, look away." Yeah. But um, I'm okay with Dropbox right now. I, I my frustrations with Dropbox are that they their eye is not on the ball, the ball being my kind of y- workflow, and that their their eye is now on you know cushy enterprise money, and if they can manage to pay. Pay attention to both kinds of users then we'll be fine and if they're too focused on the enterprise business and you know but it still works for me for now. so I, I don't have a problem with it uh, today and I would say as long as they continue doing things like updating to support the new features of the new oss because like Catalina actually input in, in um, adds a bunch of stuff so that companies like Dropbox can um, more directly access what they need to access without doing really hacky things in the system. I actually think that that will solve a lot of complaints that people have about Dropbox on the Mac, but they have to do it. And yes. uh, likewise, on iOS, there's a whole new set of things that they can do to be a better citizen in iOS 13, but they have to do it. So we'll see if they do it. I will I will be very happy if they do. And if they don't, uh, that will be another nail in their coffin for uh, me.
0: Then we can start asking some questions,
1: right? Yeah. Because then it's like, oh, so you are purposefully
0: skirting around these security measures then. yeah exactly that's a a different because
1: because essentially what apple has done is they built features into their operating systems to get dropbox to stop hacking their system they've been doing it for a while because like the badges used to be hacked and they're they're like okay we'll we'll give you an api to put badges on files okay stop doing that and so now they they're they're adding new features in macOS and ios that are definitely for cloud storage providers which is great because they could not do that and make it all just iCloud drive and and they haven't they've said no if you're OneDrive, Box, Google Drive, Dropbox use these features and now it's in their court and Dropbox's history supporting this stuff it's not been great it's been especially okay on iOS. it's been okay we'll see they're slow yeah. and some they stuff do they don't want to do but they do eventually do it so i hope they do that
0: Sam has asked Mike how do you charge store and use your Apple pencil while using the clear look stand for your iPad so the clear look stand is a stand that I talk about all the time because it's my favorite stand but one of the things that it does when you when you put the iPad in it grips it on the long sides right so if you have an apple pencil I take it off and I put the apple pencil on the little foot of the stand and that's it like i i don't ever use my ipad in the stand for so long that the apple pencil's battery dies my apple right. pencil's battery has never died in the second one where the first one used to be dead all the time so right. because it when it's off it's it's not connected it's fine Then i put it back on again and it will recharge again and that works perfectly fine for me uh so then whenever i take the ipad out i just put the apple pencil back on it it's easy
1: so i i used the clear look stand the other the other day and you know you you kind of like pull it up and it goes up nice and high mm-hmm and I put my iPad in it, and then about 15 minutes later, I noticed that it was a lot lower. Oh no! I'm upset now. I think it's like not holding. You have holding a it tight. one.
0: Yep. Yeah, I would say, um, I have had products that have done that to me from the stands that I've used. My original Clarilux stand. That is not happening. So Yawn has, has a fault in it, and maybe I'm just lucky and I have a
1: unicorn one. But I've used my. Well, this was my, this was my concern time. with it because it doesn't have like a thing you clip to lock it in place. It's just tension. Yeah. And I thought really it's going to stay up with tension and not just kind of sag and now it's uh it's sagging so it's letting me down and by that i mean it's literally lowering down my ipad pro yeah i haven't had that
0: happen to mine but i do agree eventually it's going to happen because it's just tension and the tension will weaken but if i got a couple of years or even like a year out of it it'd be fine because the thing is like what 27 dollars and I use it every single day. Yeah.
1: I so I wish they just made a little bit larger. Um I think they might now. I need to actually ask them of the Viazon stand that I have because I really I prefer how solid the Viazon stand feels to the Clearlook stand, but you're right, the Clearlook stand just goes up higher and it's more ergonomic because of that. Mhm.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
1: I'm not sure if I'm going to be using these stands forever though.
0: Cuz I might just want to no? plug my iPhone and uh, my iPad into a screen now. Maybe. Because if I'm using a mouse and I'm using an external keyboard I- I've not decided. Still nice to still nice to nice to touch the
1: screen from time
0: to time. It yeah. is, it is, but but yeah. Uh Logan wants to know, have you ever engraved an Apple device? Well, have you? Well, I yes, my Apple pencil is engraved with Michael's right on it, which was inspired by <laughs> Marco doing it. So I did it too, because I felt like if Marco's gonna have one I should have it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I got. I. I don't usually do this because the devices get handed down. They get moved around. I also have a lot of Apple devices that they come into my life because it's an Apple review unit, and then they go out of my life. So those are never engraved. Um, I did try it out one time, and I think it was the fat iPod Nano, um, that I got with uh with my wife's name and our phone number on it, and it's in a drawer behind me now because I wanted to. I wanted to go through that experience, and she was going to use it um and so i put her name and our phone number on it and uh you know it was it was engraved that was that was great but as a general rule i don't do it because i the you know these tech products get handed around and so any engraving kind of means you can't get rid of it really or you get Mm -hmm. rid of it and your name's on it which is also super weird Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: it does ruin resale value
1: yeah. Maybe you should put like a like a redirect URL on it and then if you sell it, you can give that redirect URL to the new owner and then they can change it so it's always going to whoever owns it. Hmm. Huh. Or a domain name. Register a weird domain name and then when they when you when you sell it you say this comes with a domain name. <laughs> that feels like too much work at that point. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Especially for an
0: iPod nano. And um, the I'll ask an upgrade question today as a brain teaser. This is this one uh, from OVA. Do you think we're closer in calendar time to the first iPhone or the last iPhone? By that I mean the brand name iPhone. So, are we when was so how many years what what would this be in calendar years? Uh 2031. Okay. So do we think Apple will still be making a product called iPhone in 2031? What do you what what is your call on this one?
1: I do. I don't. Oh, oh okay. Well, you're on you can try to collect this bet with Mm -hmm. 60 year old me we'll still be doing the show in 2031 oh yeah we just have to figure out how many uh what what episode will that be anyway why why do you think that that it won't be there anymore
0: uh i i just think that there will be a different brand that comes to them at some point right like let's let's imagine my favorite foldable phones what if they just give that a brand new product name and then, over five years, that just becomes what everybody has, and then it becomes something else like like let's imagine just like for simplicity's sake, that they call it like the Apple something rather than the i something, and they give it like a different name, right yeah, and then over that period of time, that just becomes the the product right like that just is like oh this is now the product everybody buys and it's a completely different form factor you,
1: you just imagine that over the next 12 years Apple will have enough time to consider its branding of products and and either decide or hit upon something that allows them to kind of fade the iPhone name out because everybody will still know what it is
0: I think they've already worked out the branding and it's not i something I think well, that's that tr- tr-
1: sure that that's true, and yet, iMac and iPhone are st- and iPad these are, are still around. Well, these because these are just product they are, lines
0: that they can't. Like, why would you? Why would you? Why would you call a product that looks like the iPhone something else? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but if you yeah. replace it with something which I I think
1: eventually will happen with all of this stuff, eventually. Well, so I guess what I would say is I feel like the term phone has become, uh, you know, in in 2007, it basically started getting hijacked by smartphone. Mm-hmm. And now we think of phones and phones don't mean what they used to mean. We have literally changed the definition of what a phone is. Yep. and Which
0: is crazy, right? Isn't that wild?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, a phone means a computer now. A phone means a computer in your pocket. That's what a phone is, which is just strange. But that's how language works. And that's how the world works. And that's how technology distorts the world. And that's great. But what I'm saying is the iPhone is such a powerful product and it's such a powerful brand. And that the phone as a concept, I feel like in 12 years is not going to have left us completely. It's not going to be like when the iPod went away and the iPod lasted a lot longer than you would have expected to. I think the idea of a phone has so much strength and the idea of the iPhone as a brand has so much strength that it will be hard for Apple to shrug it off in 12 years so my gut feeling is apple will make a lot of other things but there will still probably be something we call a phone because otherwise what we're saying is in 12 years technology will have advanced to the point where you no longer need to have a thing that you carry with you that has a screen and and this is the thing is i can believe you will no longer have to have a thing that you carry with you that has an internet connection because you'll be wearing something with an internet connection i the thing that makes me unsure is is everybody going to go to some kind of smart glasses smart contact lenses display system that does not require them to carry a display in their pocket that they look at and i don't think that in 12 years technology will have advanced enough so that everybody will not need a screen in their pocket because of the human body because it's so hard to get a heads up display in front of everybody's face because of the people needing glasses and people who can't take contacts and people who don't want things in front of their face. I think it's going to be hard. So I think that it may be a niche at some point because most people will say, why aren't you wearing glasses? Everybody wears glasses now because that's how you see the world in augmented reality. But I feel like there will still be a product in 12 years. And um, if you disagree with me, uh, Mike and I will settle this bet on upgrade episode nine hundred. Uh,
0: so I do want to say, like I will say, hearing you say that is shaken my uh, feeling. But oh. I, I did want to say though, I didn't say they wouldn't call it phone.
1: No, I just mean that because people will think of a class of device as a phone, and the iPhone is such a strong brand. Mm-hmm. There will be there there will be if if phones are still a thing and Apple still has the name iPhone. I feel like. They will just stick with that name. As long as it's a thing that is considered a phone, why would you change from the name iPhone? I've always uh, just even wondered the, yeah. if they would eventually want to call it Apple Phone. I I hear you, and I think that if they were naming it today, that's what they'd call it. But that it's called the iPhone, and everybody calls it that. And and so now mm-hmm. it's like that's what that is, mm-hmm. is is the iPhone. I don't hold uh, I, my sure. opinion very strongly. Okay, say. well, we'll check in in, in 2031 in episode 900.
0: Yeah, episode 900. I mean, we're nearly at episode 300. It doesn't feel like an poss- impossible thing to get to. We'll find sure. out. Maybe we'll be one of those shows
1: that dies and then pops back up in 2031. Oh oh i like it we've wrapped it all the way around that's how they do it so if we cancel upgrade just keep it in the feed and then maybe there'll be an episode in in uh, 2031 2031. well
0: i guess it'll be like january 31st 2031 right we'll we'll come back and settle the bet yeah somebody needs to put that in their calendar and they can remind us later on someone's now done Hmm. this so that's fine yeah. I think December 31st 2031 right you gotta wait till the end of the year that was what I meant no matter what I said I meant okay. December now <laughs> I don't know, right. what, I okay. don't know so, what month I said so put, but put, I meant December
1: put June 4th 2031 in your calendar and uh, yeah okay
0: Thank you so much for everybody that sent in a hashtag ask upgrade question. You can send in questions for us to close the show by sending out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to uh sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. Jason is at Jasnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and both me and Jason host many shows here at Relay FM. You can find your next favorite podcast at relay.fm slash shows. Go and pick something new from there and uh i actually met a i was at a wedding over the weekend and met a liftoff listener jason so there's something that's happening hooray so that was nice it's like oh relay fm i like liftoff that was the thing that was the thing (laughs) that actually happened to me over the weekend so that's amazing space uh thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of upgrade thank you to wabi parker squarespace and lumen5 for their support of this show and we'll be back next time until then say goodbye jason snell
1: goodbye mike hurley